The birth of a baby, especially when it's your firstborn, is, is always or usually a, a very special event. I remember in our lives, uh, as we prepared ourselves for the birth of Timothy, a very special time. Anticipation builds up over nine months. You, you get the, the room ready, you buy your cot and all the things that come with uh, babies. Uh, granny gets to visit uh, to come and help uh, during the time of the birth. It's always a really special time. It's exciting. Uh, friends uh, come around, rally around the family and so on. And it really is just a really special time. Uh, we had some really dear friends. Uh, it was their firstborn. A special time until they dis- discovered that their baby had spina bifida. Uh, this baby had it really bad. Uh, there was no skull. And they were advised that the bi- baby would never ever survive birth. Uh, but they went ahead, uh, being Christian people, and knowing that the baby would die at birth. Quite a mind-blowing story. Um, at times, our faith is, test- is tested. Uh, we were looking at the testing of our faith. Uh, last week, we looked at that, the testing of your faith. And um, this morning, we're going to look at the, 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 the title, When Your Faith Begins to Fail. How do you respond when God tests you. Now, last week we already saw that test comes at various times in different ways. It's sometimes painful. Whenever I think about that, I think of Job who suffered. He lost so much. His health went down and he lost his children and so on. And so often we wake up to the fact that we're going through a test. Now, remember there were... Uh, a number of words we'll look at in the moment, but uh, when we're in the test, we feel grieved, we feel distressed, we feel emotional, tired, stressed out, and so on. And, and yet, those words that sometimes we don't like to hear, James begins a section by saying, count it all joy. You see, God's goal is that um, he might build into our lives for our ultimate good, Tests authenticate your your faith, and true faith, James reminds us, is more precious than gold. Now, we saw last week that God expects us to to pass the test, and remember there are four words we looked at, uh, count, know, let, ask, Uh, those are the words in the King James Uh, James speaks about the fact we need to have a, a joyful attitude, because our attitude determines our altitude. We we need an understanding mind uh, to understand the purposes of God, a surrendered will. Uh, And James says, let perseverance do its work. Now, it's not just the test. It's persevering in the test that grows our faith. We saw it last week. And then the last thing James speaks about is a believing heart. Uh, We need that approach of faith. How do you respond to the test of faith. We're going to read from James chapter 1 again, verse 2. Are, are there folk who need sermon notes? Anyone need sermon notes? Put up your hand. You're all good. Right. James chapter 1 and verse 2 to 8. James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness, 
that you may be perfect, and remember that word perfect means spiritually mature, that you may be perfect or spiritually mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And then down to verse 12. Blessed, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And of course, we remember that ultimately that crown of life represents our eternal life in the presence of God. He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. How do you respond to the test of faith? Now remember, James was the brother of Jesus. He faced many trials. He identified with the people he was writing to. He, he spoke from personal experience. This wasn't just theory for him. And we know historically that eventually James would be martyred, uh, put to death for his faith. James knew that the right response to the trial was absolutely essential. And so how do you respond to the test of faith? Have you ever thought or maybe even said to God, Lord, don't you care? Lord, do you really care about me that I'm going through this test? We want to say if you've felt like that, you are really in good company. Max Licardo wrote a, a piece, Don't You Care? Mark 4:38. Teacher, don't you care if we... Don't you care if we are going to die? Such an honest cry, a, a, dogged, a doggedly painful cry. I've asked that one before, haven't you? It's been screamed countless times. A mother weeps over a stillborn child. A husband is torn from his wife by a tragic accident. The tears of an eight-year-old fall on a daddy's casket. And the question, the question wails, God, don't you care? Why me? Why my friend? Why my business? It's a timeless question. The question asked by literally every person that has stalked this globe. There has never been a president, a worker, or a businessman who hasn't asked it. There has never been a soul who hasn't wrestled with the aching question, does my God care? Or is my pain God's great goof? As the winds howled and the sea raged, the, impa the impatient and frightened disciples screamed their fear, at the, uh, their fear at the sleeping Jesus. Teacher, don't you care that we are about to die? He could have kept on sleeping. He could have told them to shut up. He could have impatiently jumped up and uh, angrily dismissed the storm. He could have pointed out their immaturity, but he didn't. With all the patience that only one who cares can have, he answered the question. 
He hushed the storm so the shivering disciples wouldn't miss his response. Jesus once and for all, uh, Jesus answered once and for all the aching dilemma of man. Where is God when I hurt? Listening and healing, that is where he is. He cares. So writes Max Licardo. First this morning, how not to respond to the test of faith. What are the things we, we shouldn't be doing um, as uh, when we have these tests, we face these tests. And I'm going to go to the Old Testament in a moment. The context, remember, uh, is the 12 spies. Uh, the children of Israel had left Egypt. They had gone through the desert or the wilderness, a journey of maybe six weeks. They had come to Kadesh Barnea, and uh, Moses had sent 12 spies into the promised land, the place God had promised, and they were to come back to uh, give a report on the exploration and here we see how not, how not to respond to the test. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles to uh, Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30 to 33, it'll also be on the board. Uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 30 to 33. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. But Caleb, and he was one of the two faithful spies, but Caleb quietened the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy, uh, uh, spied out, is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Now, uh, Caleb is with Joshua, they bring a, a good report, and the ten spies, they give a bad report. We move on to uh, Numbers 14, verses 1 to 4. And interestingly, the uh, ESV heading, which is quite appropriate, is the people rebel. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept all night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Will it not better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now we're looking at how not to respond to the tests of faith as there's things that come along and, and test us and, and try us. Number one, we can compromise our testimony, verse 1, and the second part of verse 2. We, we say to ourselves and we, we say to the people around us, God is not in control. I don't know if you felt that as you go through a trial and you face terrible things. And you begin to wonder, where is God? Can God really intervene in my situation? 
And maybe we, we go onto Facebook or uh, social media or WhatsApp and we post things because we're angry with ourselves and, or we're angry with God and we compromise our testimony. The next thing we see these people do, not only did they compromise their testimony, but complain verbally about the circumstances. Verse 2, uh, the, the people eventually would have no f- water, no food. Uh, it sounds like Shwani at the moment, or, or no electricity, and we begin to complain. Um, that's what these people did. They compromised their testimony, they complained. Um, and then they criticized the leadership or, or those in charge. Verse 2. And they said that Moses and and Joshua and Caleb didn't know what they were doing. Uh, They needed new leaders. I don't like what what they're doing. Uh, And maybe we say that sometimes in churches. I I don't like the pastor. I'm not going to support the pastor. I'm not going to follow the leadership, the elders, whatever. Uh, And we complain. Um, And Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 3 uh, and, and verse 1. And Paul addresses the Corinthians and he he says, I I can't describe you as mature and spiritual. Verse 4 he says, one says, I follow Paul. Another says, I I I follow Apollos. What is Paul and what is Apollos? Paul asks, only servants of God. And so we see as they were tested, they began to criticize the leadership and then worse, verse 3, they contend with God, they, they blame God, they get angry with God. Now, did God want the children of Israel to become victims? Yes or no? No, he didn't. Did he want them to die by the sword? No, he didn't. Were they better off in Egypt? Absolutely not. Um, so what is God's response as the people begin to complain? Uh, if you look, Numbers 14, 22. Uh, in fact, we'll read from verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness. Now, it's very important just to pause here. Um, the children of Israel had seen incredible miracles. Remember the plagues um, uh, while they were in Egypt. Remember how the, the Red Sea had opened up. They, they had evidence, God working, absolutely amazing things, miracles. But in the light of that, they begin to uh, oppose God's plan. Um, they'd seen amazing things. And verse 22, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times. wasn't once, twice, three times. I get irritated after three times uh, with my kids. Uh, God had already put up ten times uh, in the wilderness. Um, They've put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers. And none of those who despised me, shall see it. So when we complain to God, uh, when we moan, when we contend with God, we are actually despising Him. And so God responds, You told me you're going to die in the wilderness. That had never ever been part of my plan. plan. But because of what you said uh, about me, and then He goes on, verse 28, 
And he says to Moses, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all of the number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephna, and Joshua, the son of Nun. These were two men who were faithful. Verse 31, But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. And so we see the children of Israel, they not only complain, they now contend with God, and then we see even worse, or maybe not worse, they corrupt the faith of others. Verse 4, they begin to spread unbelief. God can't do this. God can't help us. And they turn against God's plan. And because of that, they do not experience the goodness of God. Now I want to say this morning, your faith can either encourage people or your lack of faith can spread unbelief. Now, uh, as I look back in my, in, uh, through my life, um, I, I've had amazing people in my life uh, who have suffered intensely. Um, I think of one man particularly uh, who eventually died. His faith during suffering um, has stood out to encourage me to grow as a Christian. We either encourage folk or we discourage people uh, in, their, in their walk. What is, what's the opposite of fear? Uh, it is... Faith in what I believe. Ten men responded in fear. They rebelled against God. And because of that, they lost out. Two men responded in faith. They trusted God. And as you read the story right through Joshua, we see that Joshua and Caleb were rewarded for their faith. Fear comes when we look at the people and the circumstances we, we find ourselves in. We, we take our eyes off Jesus. And, and then this very important statement which you need to write down. The outcome of every test of faith depends on how I look at the test. Is that true? The outcome of every test of faith depends on how I look at the, at the test. Remember Peter um, Jesus calls him out of the boat during the storm, and he, he gets out, he starts out in faith. But that word we looked at last week, he, he became double-minded, and before long he was looking at the waves and the rain and the thunder, and guess what happened? He, he went under. There are ways we shouldn't respond. We compromise our testimony, we complain, we criticize spiritual leaders, we, we contend with God, we, we corrupt the faith of others. So the big question is, how then should we respond to the test of faith? How should we respond to the test of faith? Now one of my great heroes, and you will often hear about him, was George Muller, uh, a man of faith and prayer. He was known for his prayer. Uh, he started out not as a Christian, obviously, um, and eventually became a Christian, and God used him mightily because of his faith and his prayer and um, he said the following the lord gives faith for the very purpose of trying it for the glory of his own name and for the good of him who has it and by the very trial of our faith 
we do not only obtain blessing to our own souls, but becoming better acquainted with God, if we hold fast our confidence in Him. But our faith is also by the exercise strengthened. And so it comes that if we walk with God, trials become greater and greater. Now if you read the, uh, the biography of George Mullen, I really would encourage you to do that. Uh, this man trusted God for more and for more and for more. He started out with a, a group of street children by housing them and feeding them and uh, uh, educating them. And at the peak of his ministry, by faith, he never asked for a cent. He didn't drop hints. Uh, he was looking after 2,000 uh, uh, street children. It is an incredible story to listen to, uh, um, if, or to read at least. Um, amazing what God did through his life. Now, in Numbers chapter 14, verses 5 to 10, we, we see the right response to the test. Numbers 14 and verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregations said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. What is the right response? The first thing is to pursue a right spirit. Numbers 14:24 it says the following, but my servant Caleb because he has a what? Because he has a different spirit and has followed me faithfully, has followed me fully, I will bring him into land which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Here we see this man, a totally different spirit, not questioning God, not doubting God. Caleb and Joshua and, and Moses had a different spirit. God is looking for men and women who are believers, and regardless of their situation, will trust in God. Whether or not they've got food or water, they will express their trust in God. Friends, we, we need to pursue the right spirit. But then we need to, the second one, consider the belief that God is testing, verse 6, uh, Numbers 14:6. consider the belief that God is testing, verse 6, and, and Joshua son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephna, who were among those who spun up the land, they tore their clothes. Now, Joshua and Caleb realized that the people had failed the test and they tore their clothes. The question this morning is, do you believe that God is the provider? I remember some years ago when we were in Namibia, we bought a house. And, and then the interest, interest rates just uh, went through the roof and we, we really couldn't afford it. And Marlene and I, we began to pray that God 
we provide. We didn't know how he was going to provide, but we trusted him. And um, at that time, my brother-in-law passed away, and uh, I needed a lift to Cape Town. And to cut the long story short, there was a, a person we knew uh, in another town, and he, he sponsored me to fly on a flight. Uh, in those days, the, the flights from Welvers Bay to Cape Town were, were incredibly expensive. And on that flight, I happened happened to um, sit next to an architect, and the, the long, to cut the long sh- uh, story short, uh, this man offered, at that stage Marlene wasn't working, uh, Jonathan had been born, and he offered her a job to walk, work at home as much as she liked, and that covered the bond. Uh, an amazing answer to prayer, an amazing answer. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that God can keep you? Do you believe that God is with you in every trial and and every test? What is the belief that God is testing you right now? Uh, I was just saying to somebody, uh, some of you will know that Marlene is in hospital with some back issues. And uh, just a few weeks ago, we were saying we're going to be doing James and the testing of our faith. What's going to come our way? Because it always happens when you're a preacher. And that does happen. But God tests what we believe. And friends, what do we believe about God? Because God will test that belief. Uh, We need to consider the belief God is testing. And then uh, the next one is verbalize God's promises. Verse 7 and 8. Speak it out. Declare it. Verse 7. And Joshua and Caleb said that they verbalized to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, isn't it great when God delights in you and me, when he delights in our church, isn't that great? That's a blessing. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. And so we see that uh, Joshua and Caleb, they declare the promises that God has specifically given to them. Next, we need to realize that unbelief will lead to sin. Unbelief will lead to sin, verse 9, the first part. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. Now what happens when you're going through a test, and you decide not to trust God, but to maybe trust yourself or things you have, and you begin to get angry? How many of you, when you go through a test, you get ticked off, and you get angry, and I won't use all the other words, because they shouldn't be said in church, uh, but we begin to uh, get emotional. Uh, then unbelief begins to boil up. And we, we walk away from God. And our testimony is ruined. How sad it is sometimes when I, uh, I go onto Facebook and, and so on. And people start blurting out all the stuff they shouldn't be. And you say, wow, they have just destroyed their testimony. Um, you need to realize that when unbelief sets in, it will lead to sin. We've got to watch it. The next one is to acknowledge that God is sovereign. Verse 9, the second part. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Friends, do you believe it? 
That God is with you in the test. Don't forget that. God is sovereign. We've just seen that the last while. Um, and I think I shared this a few weeks ago. Uh, Christy had got in um, to Wits in Cape Town. She was going to go to Wits. We were still praying uh, about her getting into Pretoria University. A lot easier. A lot, lot cheaper because you don't pay uh, residence fees. And uh, everyone we spoke to said there is no ways... You're going to get into OT. The department is small. There's no way your daughter's getting in there. Well, a few weeks ago, we got back from a hike, and there was a phone call about an hour later, and they said to us, are you still interested? And we said, praise the Lord, we're very interested. Um, God opens impossible doors. Recognize, acknowledge that God is sovereign. Friends, the, the truth needs to move from our heads down into our hearts. And sometimes that, that is really difficult to do. Right. Pursue the right spirit. Consider the belief God is testing. Verbalize God's promises. Recognize that unbelief leads to sin. Acknowledge that God is sovereign. Very important. What do you do? When your faith begins to fail. How many of you have been in that situation? Where your faith is really just going downhill. I think most of us get there at some other point. Uh, we really just start getting frustrated because the test goes on and on. How, what do you do when your faith begins to fail? In other words, how do you strengthen your faith? Now I want to say this morning, and uh, recently we did the series on Psalms. I've never done a series before on Psalms, just by the way. Uh, it was really uplifting for me, and I hope it was the same for you. Uh, the Psalms are, are, are really a source of, of spiritual strength. And I, I want you to turn to Psalm 78 and keep your Bibles open. Psalm 78, I'm going to read from a few verses, select verses. Psalm 78 gives us advice. I'm going to read from verse 5, just for context. Psalm 78 and verse 5. That's just the context of the first few verses. He established a testimony in Jacob, and Jacob refers to Israel, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So what God is saying to uh, the, the children of Israel is, is teach them my precepts, my commands. Teach them about my faithfulness that they might pass it on to the next generation. Because friends, how easy it is to not pass on our, our spiritual beliefs to the next generation. Here it is, verse 7. So that they might set their hope in God. What does God want? He wants you and I, he wants our children and their children to set our hope in God and not forget the works of God, but to keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast. There's the word, remember, what does James tell us to do? To be steadfast in trial. They were not steadfast in trial a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit, there's that word we spoke about earlier on, whose spirit was not faithful to God. In other words, they, they didn't trust God. Verse 10, they did not keep 
God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. What do you do when your faith is going down, when you're battling, when you're struggling with a trial, with a test? What do you do when your faith begins to fail? Number one, and we, we read it earlier, set your hope on God. That is the starting point. You need to get your head and your heart right. Set your heart or your hope in God. That's the starting point. Uh, we all know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but let me uh, just quote it again for the sake of being reminded, uh, reminding us. The writer of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with what? With all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, because when we do that, we're going to get nervous and worried and panic. Trust in the Lord with, with all your hearts, and lean not on your own understanding. In some of your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Now, the, the writer of the Proverbs, he recognizes that our hearts are double-minded sometimes we trust God sometimes we we don't trust God and in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 he says to us above all else guard your hearts for it is the wellspring of life guard your hearts because friends if you don't you're going to get yourself into trouble number one Set your, heart, your hope in God. You need to be focused on God. Number two, don't forget the Lord's works. In other words, don't forget what, what God has done in the past. Now, at this point in the history of Israel, they'd come out, the, 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 the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They had seen God work, in, do incredible things, the, the plagues. God had opened uh, the Red Sea. He had given them water in the deserts. And after all that, they simply forgot. Do not forget God's works in your life. Hopefully as a Christian, you can look back. And if you're walking with God, you can see God's hand in very specific ways. I was just reflecting on that recently, right back from when I was a teenager, even younger. I can see God intervene in specific ways. When I went to the Army National Service, right through my life, I can see God intervene. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. What happens when we forget? Well, the Israelites had seen God work in amazing ways, and yet they forgot. And when we forget, it leads to disbelief. And we become unfaithful. Uh, let's then look at uh, Psalm 78, verse 22. If you just look down a bit. Verse 22 in Psalm 78. For they did not believe in God or trust in His deliverance. Verse 32. In spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of His wonders, they did not believe. Verse 40. How often they rebelled against him in the deserts and grieved him in the wasteland. When we don't trust God, we actually grieve his spirit. Verse 41. Again and again, they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day he redeemed them from the repressor. 
these guys had an incredibly short memory, and I suspect that most of us also have a, a very short memory when it comes to God intervening. We say, well, it's just chance, and it, it happened like that. Uh, we do not acknowledge what God is doing. You need to remember what God has done for you in the past. Set your hope in God. Do not forget His works. And then the next one, keep the Lord's commandments. You know, our response when we go through trials uh, can be really sinful. There can be disobedience. And we, we need to ask ourselves as we go through the trial, what is the right response? Now, the Apostle Paul, if you read about his life in the New Testament, in Acts and in the letters, you discover that this man uh, responded in the right way. And I want to quote uh, Philippians 4, verse 11 to 13. We, we know it so well. Um, Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Paul writes, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in wants. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Now often we completely misquote this verse. It's talking about the face, the times when we go through trial, when we're in need. And, and Paul says, at that point, God strengthens me to do what I need to do. He gives me strength. Now we need to live in three tenses. The past, the present, the, the future tense. Remember the faithfulness of God in the past. That's what God says. Remember, remember, remember. Exodus 34 verses 5 and 6. God says to Moses, Exodus 34, 5 and 6. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Verse 6. And God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebelling, rebellion, and sin. Question this morning. How do you know God? Do you know God as merciful and gracious and long-suffering, abounding in, in love and, and truth? How many memories do you have of the faithfulness, the, the forgiveness, the, the goodness of God. Have you forgotten the, the fingerprints of God on your life? Because God has us in His hands. Remember the faithfulness of God in the past. And then recount the promises God has given us all for the future. Recount the promises God has given all of us. For the future. Remember what Paul says to uh, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and, and verse 7. And, and maybe it's good when we're going through trials and, and tribulations. God has not given us a, a spirit of fear. But of power and love 
and a sound mind. Now, that's very easy to quote when everything's going lacquer. But I want to say to you when, you, when you are stressed out and tired and you're going through a trial, that's the time to actually quote this verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And sometimes some of us need that sound mind, don't we? Right. Recount the promises God has given us all for the future. And finally, review the hope and promises in the present. Is there a belief I need to change? Maybe I'm, I'm doubting God. Maybe I'm wondering if he's going to come through. Is there a belief I need to change? Is there a, a gap between my, my head, the things I know, the, the promises I know, and my heart, how I feel? I want to close off with a, another piece from uh, Max Licardo. He's got some lovely short stories I read from time to time. It's, it's called Anvil Time. And maybe this morning some of you are, are feeling that you're on the anvil. Max Licardo begins, on God's anvil. Perhaps you've been there, melted down, formless, undone. Placed on the anvil for reshaping, a few rough edges to many, discipline, a good father disciplines, testing, but, but why so hard? I know. I've been on it. It's rough. It's a spiritual slump, a, a famine. The fire goes out. Although the fire may flame for a moment, it soon disappears. We drift downward. Downward into the foggy valley of, of question, the misty lowland of discouragement. Motivation wanes. Desire is distant. Responsibilities are depressing. Passion, it slips out the door. Enthusiasm, are you kidding? Anvil time. It can be caused by a death, a, a breakup, going broke, going prayerless. The light switch is flipped off and the room darkens. All the thoughtful words of help and hope have been all nicely said, but I'm still hurting, wondering. On the anvil, brought face to face with God out of utter realization that we have nowhere else to go. Jesus in the garden, Peter with a, a tear-streaked face, David after Bathsheba, Paul, blind in Damascus, pound, 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 pound. I hope you're not on the anvil, unless you need to be, and if so, I hope you are. Anvil time is not to be avoided, it is to be experienced. Although the tunnel is dark, it does go through the mountain. Anvil time, anvil time reminds us of who we are and who God is. We shouldn't try to escape it. To escape it could be to escape God. God sees our life from beginning to end. 
He may lead us through a storm at the age 30 so we can endure a, a hurricane at age 60. An instrument is useful only if it is in the right shape. A dull axe or a bent screwdriver needs attention and so do we. A blacksmith keeps his tools in shape. So does God. Should God place you on his anvil, be thankful. It means he still thinks you are worth shaping. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for those wonderful words. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19. The hope we have, this hope we have, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Father, we thank you that even though we are going through anvil time, Lord, even though our, our faith is being tested and we, we endure trials, Lord, we know we have an anchor that is safe and secure. Father, we bow before you, acknowledging our weaknesses, our, our tendency to complain and to get ticked off and angry, and Lord, sometimes to wonder in, in unbelief. But Father, we're reminded of those words in Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And Father, as we bow before you, we acknowledge that you are faithful. Father, won't you focus us on yourself, on your, the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered, who died, who was raised in victory and power. And Father, no matter what we go through, no matter if we're tempted to, to give up, Lord, we know that you will keep us. Friends, while we bide, won't you just respond to the Lord? Maybe you're going through a trial or a tribulation right now. Won't you respond to God as he's spoken to you this morning? through this sermon, won't you respond and just allow his spirit to speak to you right now, maybe you are going through a time of unbelief, you're battling, you're struggling, won't you say, Lord, I'm, I'm really struggling today, I'm, I'm facing tough times, Father, won't you remind me that you, you hold me in, in, the, in the hollow of your hand, and Lord, I pray that you'd keep me, keep my faith, strengthen me. Father, we just acknowledge that you are faithful. And Lord, although we go through painful times, stressful times, tiring times, times of doubt, Father, we acknowledge that you are with us, that you are worthy to be worshipped. And Lord, as we prayed earlier on after the first part of worship, Lord, we just proclaim that you are sovereign, that you are good, and that you are worthy. And so, Father, we Present our lives afresh to you. Maybe somebody else this morning who's really just backslid and turned their back on God. Why don't you take this opportunity right now and say, Lord, I want to come back to you this morning. Father, I want to recommit my life to you. Lord, I want to be a soldier in the army of the Lord and stand firm in, in the time of trial and test. Why don't you give me that this morning, Father? Father, I pray that we would experience your delight 
Lord, that we will experience a sense of your glory and your presence. Because you are God. And Lord, we commit ourselves afresh to you. We pray this all in the glorious and victorious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.